Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. 42 million years ago, when the San Diego region was much more lush and tropical than it is today, a small bobcat-like creature roamed the rainforest terrain. Now that creature has a name. The extinct Diego Loris was recently discovered by researcher Ashley Paust of the San Diego Natural History Museum and his colleagues Hugh Wagner and Sean Zack. The discovery of the saber-toothed cat is significant because it's one of the first known instances of a mammal that only eats meat. While that's somewhat common in animals today, it definitely wasn't back then. Pals joined me today to talk about the discovery and its significance. Well, Ashley, thanks for joining me. Uh, you know, I read that this fossil was actually discovered in Oceanside in 1988, or was found in Oceanside in 1988, but it really wasn't discovered until this year when you and your colleagues named it and confirmed it was one of the oldest. Why and how did that happen? I think this is a common thing, actually, with, with many types of um, you know scientific discoveries. Uh, the specimens or the data often are collected or in some way preserved um, long in advance of when that information actually gets to be studied. And I, and I think sometimes this feels like a negative thing, like, oh, well, why, this, why isn't this stuff getting studied earlier? And some of that's just resources and time. Uh, but actually, I think it's a really positive thing. I think it means that our museums or our other centers of knowledge are doing a good job of saving this data, preserving it. Um, I always tell people that, uh, you know, museums are not just a pile of stuff. They're an active collection that gets um, work done on it all of the time. And that work is necessary to keep the information connected to the individual specimens so that that inform information plus the actual thing can be available to study many, many years down the road. So I think rather than being sort of like a, a, a negative thing, this later date of study I think is actually showing that the uh, museum community in San Diego is like functioning at a high level. Um, having said that, <laughs> um, I do think that obviously um, our conception of things changes through time. We get the chance to use new methods uh, that weren't available previously. Uh, when this was discovered in the 80s, we couldn't have done the family tree that we did for these small animals. A lot of them weren't known and the methods that we used weren't well developed. Um, and so having new context and new scientific methods, you never know what people are going to find in material that's been around for a while. Hmm, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. So what about this uh, species caught your attention all these years later? How did you end up studying it? Well, there's sort of two answers that uh, the quick answer is it's got cool little pointy teeth. And so you're looking through a drawer <laughs> and, and, you know, that that stands out. Uh, there's not a lot of carnivores, which makes sense in, in ecosystems today. You see a lot fewer wolves than you do, you know bison in, you know, in Yellowstone. Um, and that's just not, and that's not just the legacy of hunting. The, the ecosystem can only have a certain number of um, uh, predators for a given number of prey because that uh, energy, you know, moves through the system, sun to plants, to herbivores, to carnivores. And so it, as that gets less and less, you can only have a smaller number of, of predators per prey. So these are rare animals. And so that really stands out in a drawer of little herbivore teeth these carnivore teeth. The, the bit more complicated answer is I came as a researcher to the San Diego National History Museum to work on our incredible marine mammal collection. Uh, we have some of the best information in the world from the fossils collected during the construction of San Diego and along our beaches about 
the mammalian transition back to the ocean. So pinnipeds, seals and sea lions, um, as well as, as whales and other weird things like sea cows are all saved in the rocks in the San Diego region of Southwestern California. But uh, COVID happened. And so a lot of our prep lab didn't, didn't work at its full capacity because we couldn't have as many volunteers in working in our, um, my, my ability to go to other museums and compare specimens and use labs was all curtailed. So I started asking, how can I ask similar questions to what I want to know with marine mammals with uh, specimens that have already been collected, that have already been processed and that we have here so I can work on them during the pandemic. And um, this was an incredible fossil that had um, been worked on a little bit in the 90s, but never really pursued, you know, to, to finally get published. And so um, I picked this up and contacted um, our third author, Hugh Wagner, who is a former employee of the museum and friend, um, and said, oh, we, we should bring this back and keep working on this. And I contacted um, uh, the first author, Sean Zach, who's probably the only world or one of the very few world experts on this weird little group of pre-carnivore carnivores, that is the meat eaters that came before the ones we're familiar with. And um, so it was a really fun team to work on and something we could do during the pandemic. Yeah, so tell me more about San Diego's cat. You know, what makes it unique and why is it significant? Yeah, Diego Valores is fun. I think I, I think it, uh, our picture of what carnivores are is very much cats and dogs. I think we often even forget day to day that that seals and sea lions are, are carnivores and that bears are carnivores. Um, and then living in North America, we actually forget about a huge number of carnivores that exist in the southern parts of the world and even in, in, South, in Central America and in Mexico close to us. So there's a lot of strange and wonderful things like civet cats and the fossa in Madagascar that don't conform to this dog cat dichotomy that we normally think about. Um, but all those animals I just listed are related to one another, more closely related to each other than they are to anything else in, in the living mammal kingdom. And um, this animal falls outside of that, outside of that group entirely. So it's a carnivore in the sense of being a meat eater, um, but like very few living animals, it, it's a meat eater that's not related to this big group of living meat eaters. Diego Alures was a creodont, which is an old word that really now we realize is made up of two different groups of organisms that aren't that closely related to each other. Um, and in that smaller group, it's from a weird group barely known at all called the Machyridines. The Machyridines are a group of very carnivorous animals with somewhat climbing adaptations and somewhat strong meat-eating adaptations. Uh, they lived pretty much only in um, the rocky region of North America, so Wyoming and parts of Utah, and in parts of East Asia. We have a couple little hints, little, little bits of the teeth that are from um, Asia uh, during this period, 42 to 45 million years ago, um, called the, the Eocene. Eocene was a warmer, wetter world, uh, and so San Diego wouldn't have looked the way it does now. Maybe we can talk more about that. But the addition of this fossil kind of in between the two worlds of Asia coming over the land bridge and uh, the Rockies coming down to the West um, is a really important specimen just for that biogeographic aspect, let alone because it has all these cool adaptations to being a safe tree. 
Well, you anticipated my next question. So, uh, you know, this was 42 million years ago that this cat sort of roamed around San Diego. But what was San Diego like back then? It'd be hard to catch a Padres game. <laughs> uh, San Diego was was actually um, on land at this point. So during sea level rise and fall over this long span of time, and during the rise of the mountains that make up the the you know Sierra Nevada Cordillera that runs up and down the West Coast, um, San Diego has been variously largely covered with ocean <laughs> during during time for stemming from the time of the dinosaurs to today. But there are various periods where parts of it are above above sea level. And at this time, it was a warm, wet, forested river plain. So these rivers would be carrying sediment off of the Sierra Nevadas that are starting to come up. Um, and that plain would have been covered by warm, nearly tropical uh, rainforesty type environments with big canopy, plenty of space to climb and, and run overhead. That amazing forest, which is very hard, I think, to picture for our, you know, uh, coast to cactus vision of what San Diego County is like today. Um, it's it's kind of hard to imagine, you know, being in a quiet, humid, uh, forested environment that's shady and dark, and, and and then saying, "Oh, this is San Diego." A lot of really weird animals you might be interested were also present at that time. So foreign is that forested environment feels. You also have to picture there being small rhinoceros-like animals uh, and weird tapers that are smaller than uh, a taper, which is kind of an animal related to rhinos and horses, but that we only think of as living in Malaysia and Costa Rica today, not <laughs> the United States. There were weird marsupials and other strange carnivores that don't quite look like dogs. And then there was something that I think many people would be surprised to hear, which is that early primates still lived in San Diego at this time. Primates actually have a huge part of their early evolution in North America, not a place other than ourselves that we think of as being a primate haven. Um, until you get down into sort of southern Mexico, we'd be hard pressed to imagine a monkey or anything like it in, in the United States. So um, this was a time where there's several different types of primates that would have been more like lemurs and tarsers climbing through the trees in San Diego. And so all these animals, particularly maybe those primates, were good potential food sources for this weird hypercarnivorous Diego Alvarez. Super interesting. I mean, you're painting just such a visual, um, a great visual of this. You know, I, I really can sort of imagine it, imagine the humidity, imagine the jungle environment. I haven't been to the Natural History Museum in a little while, but I mean, can you go there and learn more about this um, time in, in our region? Yeah, so the, this period, 42 million years ago, the Eocene of the San Diego area is actually really well represented in our collections. And so um, when we created the fossil portion of the San Diego, San Diego Natural History Museum called Fossil Mysteries, they actually built a incredible forest-like environment. So you actually can walk in, uh, in the, into this exhibit and feel as though you are in that forest for a moment. There's ambient sound and reconstructions of the plants and animals, but also many of the fossil uh, fossils themselves, the evidence that we have for this picture uh, are on display. So this is not really very speculative as detailed as that may feel. Um, we have the plants and we have relatively direct evidence of that warmer, wetter world um, as well as all the animals uh, that are present. And a lot of stuff is still under study. I mean, we have people in working on our Eocene plants as recently as last week. 
So this is in spite of, you know, being a well-established place that you guys should all come visit. Uh, it is, it is a, a, a time and a place that is still mysterious enough that we're really interested in it. Very cool. Well, will you talk about San Diego's significance as um, a place that has, uh, has fossils? You know, before we started recording here, you're like, it's actually really rich in fossils. We're just not finding T-Rexes. So we're not maybe on the world stage in the way that we would like to be. But what can be found in our region? Yeah, I mean, San Diego is world class for fossils, surprisingly, uh, I think, to many people in the area. Um, and I, I do think that often um, the La Brea tar pits, which they're in Los Angeles, and sort of the Montana dinosaur fields where you get triceratops are often what fires up people's imagination the most. But I, I'd advocate that San Diego is just as interesting and impressive, not just scientifically, but even in terms of the imagination that it spawns uh, as any of those places. We have many of the um, same Ice Age mammals in our area. Uh, just last week, scientists, including people from the Nat, named the first capybara from this western part of North America. So capybaras are the largest living rodents today, and there were even larger ones that lived during the Ice Ages. And they made it up from South America as far as San Diego, which is, that's really recent, talking thousands, not millions of years ago. Uh, so that's pretty bizarre to imagine a rodent of unusual size being that far up here. Um, and so it really isn't just Los Angeles that has mammoths and typical cats and a million other things. Um, that's an important window, but San Diego had a lot of that stuff too. And that's even leaving aside what I think are the two most interesting time periods, um, which are the, the Miocene to present. So we're talking 15 million to the present um, years, that, that time range. Marine mammals in San Diego, which are again, these whales and seals and sea lions uh, are world-class in terms of what we can learn from the fossils in our, in our region. Um, so understanding what the ocean and the coast were like in San Diego helps us to understand worldwide how some of the coolest innovations in all of life history got started. And, and the big one being, how do you become the most massive animal on earth? How do you become familiar with and comfortable in and required to stay in the ocean after having been uh, on land? Um, so the story of whales is told incredibly well, not just uh, by the fossils in our region, but by the scientists at our, our museum. And then of course, the Eocene, this is an incredible little window into what this warm, wet, tropical world was like when mammals were first figuring everything out. Um, we have that window in a few places in Utah and Wyoming, but to have expanded it geographically uh, as far as the Southwest really adds a huge amount to our understanding of how things are moving around in the whole world and how the modern world got established. So I know this isn't your first big discovery. You seem to be kind of a rock star at it. Um, it's actually uh, your third major scientific discovery. Uh, one was a feathered dino in China. Another one um, was, was a dinosaur with unlaid eggs inside of its skeleton. Um, so again, you're not necessarily new to this, but like, what was your reaction when you realized like, wow, this is really a new um, animal and also the oldest of its kind on the West Coast? So yeah, so it's always really exciting. I think, I think the feeling that you get from realizing that something is new or that something means something you didn't connect it with before, that feeling of scientific discovery is really energizing. And I think the coolest part of that is that it's not something that only experts can have. I mean, I think if you're the first person, if you get into birding, which is sort of a nerdy hobby, but anybody can do it, and you're the first person in your group to see, you know, a little bright purple necked Costa's hummingbird in San Diego in the spring, you get that same feeling of scientific discovery. But of course, 
in this case, it was a pretty exciting feeling because you know we're, we were realizing through discussion and comparison to other assessments, this is probably something new. Um, so that that was an incredible feeling for sure. Uh, yeah, I, that that concept of of discovery is funny too. I think you can get it from going and digging something up in the field. So our um, monitor, our our, our field paleontologist uh, Brad Riney, who first picked up this specimen in the field and recognized that this is worth saving. Um, I'm sure he had that same, or maybe even more, since he's actually finding it outside, the feeling of discovery as we did. But then even in the lab, to look at something and say, oh, look, this that's not like the teeth of the other one we've seen, or oh, what's that? It, so I think there can be a, a lot of different ways of being an explorer. And I've done field work, uh, but I've, I've also had experiences like this where I get to work uh, in the lab and with co-authors. And the discoveries that you make in a conversation on Zoom might seem less exciting than if you're out digging up a fossil, but ultimately the way they tell us about the history of the world and the view that you get of that deep chasm of time is, is almost as exciting as, as being outside on a nice sunny day. Well, congratulations again. Uh, it's really cool. It's cool to see San Diego uh, get excited about this. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? I, I would say one of the things that's really cool about this fossil is we are used to, I think, the large saber-toothed Smilodon, which is California's state fossil. Um, that's a big animal, barely any different in size from a big African lion. But this animal's small, right? It's, it's bobcat-sized. And yet it has these saber-toothed adaptations. Some of them, like the huge flange of bone that sticks down from the jaw to protect or sort of be a sheath for the big canines, are maybe more saber-toothed than the saber-toothed scat smilodon, which doesn't really have those big, those big bony protrusions. So, so the idea that you have this essentially kitten-sized <laughs> creature that is highly adapted to be this saber-toothed killer, I think changes our view. There's only a few other little animals that have that have that adaptation. And so getting a sense that not only were is that a possible way of being a saber-toothed hunter, but that it is one of the earliest ways of being a saber-toothed hunter starts to move us new direction to think about how you make those adaptations and, and why this adaptation occurs again and again through the history of mammals. Very cool. Well, Ashley, congrats again, and thanks for joining me. Thanks for this information. Oh, of course, I'm happy to be here.